0: Every now and then, we try to unpack the elusive job called A&R, or artists and repertoire. What goes into signing a band to a label? And is that the end of the story or just the beginning? Welcome to The Future of What. I'm your host, Portia Saban, president of the independent record label, Kill Rock Stars. Support for The Future of What comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, MerchTable partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk to people who do this at a major and at a big indie, and also bring back an interview with one of the industry's greats. It's all coming up on The Future of What? Support for The Future of What comes from SoundExchange. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Katie Garcia of Secretly Group and Bayonet. Katie, welcome to The Future of What.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yay.
0: Okay, so you do a for your own record label, which is called Bayonet Records, and you also do a for Secretly. Now... Secretly Group has four labels. So do you do A&R for all four of those labels? Rather five if you include your own, or do you just do them for which which labels do you do AR for?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do AR for three of the labels. So for Dead Oceans, Jag Jaguar, and Secretly Canadian. Awesome. Yeah. Numero group, they do their own thing. And then obviously Bayonet is distributed by Secretly, but that's still
0: my baby. So, I want to talk to you about A&R because I think a lot of people don't understand what it is or how it works. And you're particularly interesting because you are doing it for four different labels, which means you have to hear a band and not only say, oh, I like this band, I think this band is good, but I think it would be better on this label versus these other ones. Is that right? <laughs> yes.
1: <Yeah, so laughs> it's an
0: extra layer.
1: It is. And honestly, when I was like first approached about doing AR at Secretly Group, it was a concern of mine because I was like, how am I going to do this? I have a label of my own. But actually, as time went on, it was so easy. You just kind of have a sense of what works for which label. I think with Bayonet too, like we tend to work with like newer, more developing artists and secretly they tend to gravitate towards artists that maybe have a little bit more of like a fan base already. And then as far as like determining which, you know, artist goes on which label within the label group, it's really just a combination of things. It's you know which of the partners has the most passion for the project some you know sometimes it comes down to that sometimes it comes down to like really mundane stuff like scheduling right right we have november free okay we'll do it right so <laughs> yeah. it's like cool like you know cuz essentially it's all the same team all the project managers the marketing team our digital marketing team like everybody works across All three of the labels that release new music. So yeah, and then you know, and then part of it is there is definitely an identity to each label, and it's almost hard to put into words. Like it's it's almost like a feeling where we just know we're like this fits, you know.
0: Sure, and I think also it might even be easier to say you know when it doesn't fit. Yes. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Because that's what we have. I mean, Kill Rockstars, we had two labels. We had sort of a more experimental punk noise label called 5RC that closed when my husband left the company because that was really his thing. But, you know, I get demos every day. I'm sure you do too. And, you know, you listen to something and your first thought is usually, this doesn't fit. <laughs> you know, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. So let's talk about doing A&R Because I think it's really, you know, I think this is something bands are always fascinated by. They just want to know, like, you know, how do I get signed? And, you know, what are people listening for? So you tell me, like, when you listen to a band, like, what is it that you hear?
1: Or what is it that I'm, like, searching for when I'm like, that's a winner?
0: Well, I, yeah, I said, like, what is it that you hear, like, when you're like, oh, like, mm-hmm. I want to listen to that again?
1: Ooh, let's see. Really strong songwriting, something that's interesting and unique. You know, I feel like even if an artist is mining an older genre for inspiration, like, that's fine as long as they make it their own and as long as they're, you know, really strong songwriting in there, then I think that's, you know, kind of what makes it special and makes it stand out to me. Obviously it's always a plus when the person has like an incredible voice and they're super skilled musicians and, you know, like seem really on top of it and answer emails. (laughs) But I kind of feel like all of, you know, I, I think the first thing, first and foremost is like really strong songwriting. And yeah, I feel like that's kind of
0: what I look for. Yeah. A really like unique voice. Right. Yeah. I know these are hard questions because this is like, it's hard to answer these questions in a way that doesn't sound like so trite, like everybody says the exact same thing. <laughs> exactly. I totally, I totally get that. Cause I have to say the same thing when people ask me that question, like, what are you looking for when you hear a band? But I'm trying to find a way to articulate it that other people can understand Because there is a big difference. I mean, this is a multi-layered thing. It's like, you can hear a song that you think is terrific, but that's one song. Like, what I tend to do is, like, if I hear a song and I really like the song, I go listen to another song by the same band. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I want to know, like, because everybody can probably write one really good song. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) But I want to know if they can write more than one good song. Totally. No, and that's real, too. Like, there definitely
1: have been projects where I've gotten you know, a demo, and I'm just like, oh, but this one song is so good. but then the rest are just total garbage. And it's a it's a bummer. It's a bummer. I'm like, I want to root for you so bad, but I, you know, you just can't.
0: So, okay. So let's say you hear a band and, you know, I don't want people to be confused. Most of the bands that I find, I don't find from demos. I listen to a lot of demos, but I don't usually find them from demos. It tends to be other people telling me about it, especially bands on the label That's like a very positive way, you know, when someone comes to you, they're already on the label, and they're like, oh, my God, I just played in Detroit with this band. You totally have to hear them or whatever. Totally. So let's say you hear a band, whatever. You hear them, and you're like, hey, I like this. This sounds really good. I'm intrigued. What is your next step? What do you do next with that? Ooh. Well, am I already in touch with this person? No, let's say you just heard the music. You haven't seen them live or anything. Like, do you try to see them next or what do you what do you do next?
1: Yeah. So, I think usually, I mean, depending on where they live, I'll try to see them next. If they don't live in the same city, the first thing I'll do is probably just reach out to them via email and see what their upcoming shows are like, if they're playing in New York, which is where I live. Or let's say they're playing at South by Southwest, like I'm going to South by in March, you know? And so that's like a good place to see a lot of artists that don't necessarily live in New York. And yeah, and and ask them to hear, you know, more new demos. Yeah, I think that's usually the next step. And let's say like I'm not able to see them play for a really long time. I'll uh, try to hop on a call with the artist and or, you know, with their manager, if they have a manager and just get a sense of, what the story is behind the artist and behind the music, I think that's actually a, another really important part as far as you know working with an artist. I think as labels, like we we really want to tell those stories, yeah. you know, on behalf of our artists and present them in a way that connects with a lot of people, and so that's really important to us. So I, I try to kind of find the story with the artist early
0: on. Right. So, can you give us an example? Like, over the last four years, has there been an artist that really stands out to you in terms of like great music and then also a great story?
1: Yeah. As far as artists that I personally work with, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, all, all of them. <laughs> no, no, but yeah, I want to say the second artist I signed to Secretly or to Dead Ocean specifically was Japanese Breakfast, and I think you know aside from being like such a strong songwriter you know, the story behind her first record, I thought was so compelling and moving and beautiful. It's, you know, a lot of it was like her grieving the loss of her mom and coping with that. And, you know, her romantic relationship at that time. And, you know, the fact that she was able to be so open and vulnerable about that, I thought was really amazing. Yeah. And and she just does such a great job of letting people like into her world. I feel like she really gives a lot of herself to her fans and. There's are so many different facets to her personality, you know, from her interest in video games, you know, sprung this idea on our end to make a video game for her, which we did. And then now she's like composing the score to this awesome, like professional video game. So, yeah, I think artists like that you know, are, are really incredible to work with. I, I definitely feel really lucky to work with her.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's always really exciting. And I love your little plug for cool merch that you can also make, because I feel like that is so much, like, the funnest part of my job by far, is when, so fun. <laughs> when a band has, like, a particular funny interest or something, and then we can make some cool merch to go with it. I love that. That's, like, I don't know why I like that so much. Same, <laughs> I love it. It's silly, but it's, like, it's awesome. Okay, so... I have asked this question of one other person who does a in a completely different genre than what you and I do. And it was a really surprising answer. So I'm going to ask you the same question and see what you say. Do you feel like talent is like the least of your problems when finding artists? Or do you feel like that's not the case? Ooh, interesting. Interesting. That's a hard question to answer.
1: I think there is a lot of talent. I think the challenge right now is sifting through everything. I just feel like there's so much out there. Just sifting through the people who genuinely have talent and, you know, others that don't or others that are still working on their craft. Like, I I think that's a really huge challenge is just, like, you are just inundated with, you know, submissions and, you know, your friends telling you, like, this band's great and, you know, like, oh, you should check out this band or this artist or this singer. It's like you have so much thrown at you. I think the challenge is just sifting through it and, and finding the gems, you know, out in the vast ocean of music.
0: Right, which is a hard thing to ask people to do. And that's, you know, why the job that you and I both have is a really hard job because, you're somehow t- supposed to figure out, like, not only is this person a true talent, but they also have the work ethic that's gonna make this work for them, this job that they say they wanna do. Totally. And I feel like that is a really difficult aspect of this because I don't really know, you know, it's like every person I've ever talked to before they're signed to my label, they're always like, I'm gonna work really hard and I'm gonna tour 100 million days a year and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And like, I'm really, really into it. And then, They either may or may not do that once they're actually signed to the label. And so it's like, it's just really hard to know what people are going to be like beforehand. And I think that's been a challenge in very recent years. It's interesting that you've been doing A&R for four years, because I would say the last four years for me have been some of the hardest for me in terms of figuring out, of like making that decision. It's like, when is this band ready to be on a label and when does this band really just need to time to cook a little more? Like, let them put out their own record totally. and let them tour a bunch and, like, sort of get a sense of this job.
1: Yeah, it's so hard to know that, too. And, like, we struggle with that a lot, too. And, I mean, even with Bayonet, which, like I said, like, tends to sign, you know, younger in terms of, like, not age, but in terms of, like, the inception of the band, you know, like, new bands like even with that it's hard to decide like okay are they ready to be on a label or or should they keep doing their own thing for a little while and like be a band for a bit on their
0: own exactly
1: yeah that's really it's really tough to decide that
0: yeah have you ever signed a band that hasn't toured before yeah kind
1: of (laughs) So before doing this, I was the label manager at Captured Tracks for four years. And when I was over there, we signed this artist Catwalk. Now he goes by his name, but he just had like a string of unfortunate things that happened to him. Like we were like about to put out his record, his record was like almost done. And then his computer crashed and he lost literally all of the files to his
0: album. Oh no.
1: And, you know, essentially it was, like, years before we ended up putting out the record. I think it was around the time that I left is when they eventually put it out. At the time, we had put out just, like, a 7-inch of his. Uh-huh. And it had done pretty well. Anyway, he, it was just, like, these series of, like, just really bad luck. So he didn't really tour, but I feel like a lot of it was just, like, purely circumstantial.
0: <laughs> right,
1: right. So, yeah, aside from that, I can't really think of any to be honest unless it was like a reissue of like an older band obviously that doesn't tour anymore but other than that I would be really hard for me to work with a band that doesn't tour yeah to be honest you know like I, I that's definitely another thing that I look for again it's you know not the first thing but I would definitely say it's like the second or third thing that I think of when potentially working with an artist is what is their willingness to tour like, like, are they going to want to be on the road?
0: Are they going to want to be, you know, doing radio sessions on the road and all that stuff? Yeah. No, that's actually on my website. I say, if you're not touring, don't send me a demo. (laughs) I'm just really hardcore about it. Fair enough. At least you're upfront about it. It doesn't work. People still send their demos regardless. But you know, I just feel like it's such an important part. I agree. Because I keep, you know, I keep coming back to like, you know, you know this, I know this. It's like we get up in the morning, we go to these offices and we do this job. Like this is our job. Like this is how we eat. Yep. And I feel like bands don't always understand that this is a job because for them, they're probably doing something else because they're younger and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get it going, get it, get it off the ground. So they don't actually do this full time yet. And everyone of course is like, I want to be a rock star, like for sure. So like everybody thinks they want this job, but I'm always like, but you need to find out what this job really is because if it turns out that you hate touring or you can't stand being away from your like significant other or whatever, like, you know, you're not going to last. This is not a job for you.
1: 100% so true. Yeah, and I really like your perspective of, like, thinking about it as a job. Like, artists don't think about it as a job all the time, but it is. And it's just, like, a really fun job,
0: you know? Right. But Well, it can be. You know, it can be a really fun be. job. It
1: can <laughs> be. It can also be really grueling. You know, obviously, touring is hard. I understand why, you know, artists can be like, oh, like, I don't want to go out for that long or whatever. But there's always ways to make it work, you know, with touring. Um Like, even now, my husband, who plays in that band Beach Fossils, like, he will go out, you know, for maybe three weeks at a time. And he'll, like, go out and, like, do, like, a three-week East Coast tour and then, like, come back home and then fly out and do, like, a three-week, like, West Coast Midwest tour. And you can kind of break it up like that. But I know that, obviously, not everybody has the luxury of doing that, too. Like, sometimes just for pure, like, cost-effective reasons when you're, you know, early on in your career as a band, it's easier to just like, you know, get in the van and just
0: go. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. But I also, you know, it's like, I want people to understand that this is a job that if you decide that you like this job, it just gets harder. Like there's just more work. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't a point at which you're just like, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've seen this a million times. Like people are like, oh, I'm signed. Now I can like, relax. (laughs) It's like, no, no, (laughs) it is the opposite of that. Right now you now the work starts like this was this was point you know this was point zero like we're moving up <laughs> from here people <laughs> exactly aye, aye, aye. okay so here you are doing A&R is there a team that works with you that also does A&R there or are you kind of like the person who's bringing the bands in and then you discuss it as a team
1: yeah so we actually we have a whole team of people doing a and I'm one of Oh, gosh, I don't I don't even know how many people off the top of my head. But there are the partners of the company, Do A&R. And then we also have Ophir, who's on the West Coast in LA. John Coombs, who's here with me in the New York office. And then additionally, we have Adam Nealon, who's in London, along with Hannah Overton. And then we have Eric Dynas, who's in Bloomington. So we're kind of all over the place. And then Darius, Chris, Ben... And Phil also. Right. So.
0: Cool. Yeah. So that's our A&R squad. I love it. Well, that's, I mean, in a way that's kind of amazing. i We have like eight people at Kill Rock Stars, and I do A&R, but I'm always happy to hear suggestions, you know? Totally. I like that because it would be too much if it was just all me. Like that's hard. It's hard to be yeah, on top of everything.
1: And it's good to just like get feedback from other people whose tastes that you trust, you know, like. Just like, what do you think about this? Do you think, you know, and then you can kind of like internally field a lot of those questions or doubts that you might have like is it too early you know like should we just be fans right now which is again it's like also always a gamble because the thing is you're like oh is it too early but then if you don't sign it and like somebody else does then like there you go it's gone forever or at least for the next you know three albums or <laughs> you know so
0: you always uh, you, that's also
1: something to consider
0: well you just have to it, you just have to know the state of the industry so basically if it's a female singer songwriter you got to sign up before domino end of story (laughs) (laughs) that's it just grab it before Chris Gillespie gets a hold of it (laughs) cool well Katie Garcia what a joy to talk to you thank you so much for being with me today this is so nice
1: it was really great to talk to you I'm such a huge fan of what you do so yeah it's, it's really an honor to speak with you
0: was Last Chance County by Filthy Friends. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. Also check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's Potty Mouth. It's called Girl Germs and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Tom Wally of Loma Vista. Tom, welcome to The Future of What?
2: Glad to be here.
0: So, you have a fascinating story, and I wanted to start right out by just getting you to tell us, how did you get into the music business?
2: Well, my first job in the business was in 1979, and I started in the mailroom at Warner Brothers Records. Excellent.
0: And from there... You moved up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll try to give you the short versions of it all. But yeah. uh, I, I used that as a platform to learn, to understand mm-hmm. what the the business was or what the company was. And I would take classes at UCLA at night. That would explain more to me that I could learn in the mailroom. But I would connect it to things. So when I would deliver mail to the promotion department, I would learn what the promotion department did, you know, by talking to people, getting to know people. And I did that with every department in, in the company. And... Through you know a few years of doing that, and I realized what I wanted to do, or what I thought was appropriate for me. I didn't see myself calling radio stations and convincing them to play music, or going to retailers and convincing them to take music in the stores. I wasn't a salesman, so that's not what fit me. I was pretty quiet and. A bit shy. So I thought, hey, I can listen to music. <laughs> and I love listening to music. And I would go out at night and, and see bands in town. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I should do this. So I focused on getting into the A&R department from the mailroom.
0: Wow. And you did.
2: And I did. You did
0: eventually get into the A&R department.
2: Yeah. So I would, the, the mailroom gave you access to things <laughs> <laughs> that um, you had as much information as you wanted to have from financial information on the company to, to anything, you, wow. got, you got to know people, you you made copies of things. And so if you were smart, and you read them, you would learn, right, and steal anything. But I would intellectually read it and, and hold on to it in my brain. But one of the things I was able to do when I would pick up mail from one AR and person to another, they would pass notes to each other of bands they would see at night. So there just happened to be a, a copy machine between one office to the other, and I would uh, make a copy for myself, and then I would go out at night and see the bands that they were looking at and make my own notes. Oh, wow. And, and then, uh, and I would get a better feel for what, what was the difference between what got signed or what didn't get signed and what the thinking or the feeling was around, and then apply my own instincts to it to myself. I would just... Do that, and wow. then so that paid off. And then one day, I walked into the head of the department's office, and I said, "I want a job." <laughs> and uh, she said, "Yes," and she walked me down the hall to an office that was filled with, at the time, demo tapes came in in cassettes, right? And it was literally an office filled from floor to ceiling, from wall to wall, of thousands of demo tapes that were sent into the company. And she said, "They're all yours. Give them a listen." Wow. And I listened to it. It took me one year and I listened to every one of them.
0: Wow. And what happened from
2: that listening? I think out of all of that music at first I was like oh I like this I like this I like this isn't this great and then I realized that's eh, not that great because <laughs> 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 you're so anxious to find something that the company would sign right, right. And so I started to edit myself quickly think about it out of all of those thousands of tapes I think one was seriously considered wow. but didn't get signed but was seriously considered and that's when I realized that was not how things were really done that there were other ways that you found music that could be important and it wasn't coming by unsolicited demo tapes coming in the mail.
0: Right. So what was the first band that you signed and how did you sign them?
2: If I go back in time, I mean today what what young A&R people are, called are scouts, you know, they're out there looking and searching. Back then we weren't called scouts, we were we were associates of A&R, we had like a corporate title or something, And uh, but I was fundamentally a guy out there looking for things and let the, the other people make decisions about them. Mm. So it took me a while to learn, you know, hey, I have to sign this or I want to sign this and sort of rally it, but I was good at finding things, right? So the first band I ever sort of stood up behind was Modern English. They, wow. they had a song called I Melt With You, mm-hmm. and I was going, wow, this it came in the mail. It was coming in the mail, but it came in through through Baker's Banquet, Martin Mills, right. and at that time they didn't have U.S. operations and they licensed music into uh, American record companies and they had a preferred relationship with Warner Brothers and the music came in and I was like this is great this is great and we ended up signing it to Sire Records uh, with Seymour Stein and that record's been around forever.
0: Yeah and it's obviously a huge huge record. Yeah. So how did you move from that to the head of Warner Music? What, what ended up
2: well, the, the the process of moving up the ranks in the record industry—I mean, it can happen in many different ways. Warner Brothers was a incredible, incredible record company, and I was extremely fortunate and lucky to have picked the right one to get into the mailroom. That uh, their sensibility, the cultural sensibility of how they did business, that they perceived music as an art form, right? And they balanced out the business with strong support of, of that art. And that was, if I was somewhere else, there's companies that didn't understand that. They There was more understanding of it as commerce, right? And so for me, the, that combination of art and business fit me really, really well, right? So that... Learning curve of and understanding that to this day is is created my philosophy on how I want the business of music to work. So from Warner Brothers, I couldn't find my way up the ranks. There were a lot of people sort of in front of me, and I got a call one day to uh, from Capitol Records to go work for them, and they were tripling my salary. And I was like, "Yahoo! Isn't this great?" And (laughs) Warner Brothers couldn't find a role for me as a you know to sort of move up the ranks, so I left, right? And I went to a company that culturally was so different that it was about commerce and not Mm -hmm. about art. And it was in the beginning very difficult for me. And I was like, oh my God, I made the biggest mistake of my (laughs) career. What do I do now? (laughs) Right? Right? So one day I just woke up and I said, you know what? I made this decision. I've got to figure this out. And this is now the time. For you to stand up and be your own person to take, to make your own decisions about what you want to sign, not do it in a sense of community, which was part of how it was done at Warner Brothers, which was great. But I didn't like the taste of the other people (laughs) at Capitol Records. So I said, okay, this is my time. And that was, so what what felt wrong to me, like I made a bad decision, I turned into one of the best decisions I made because I made myself accountable. Awesome. Yeah. And and the first act I signed was a group called Crowded House from Australia and um, it became incredibly successful and that created a lot of belief in myself to go do it more. Right. And then things kind of took off from there. And then I became the head of head of the AR department at Capital from doing good things. And my boss and I at the time had political difficulties with new senior management at corporate, and they they fired me for signing the Beastie Boys and (laughs) body (laughs) rate. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what a horrible mistake they
2: told me Bonnie <laughs> Raitt was too old and the Beastie Boys didn't have a fight for your right to party on uh, on their album oh isn't that amazing and that album was Paul's Boutique right yeah fabulous <laughs> <laughs> and Bonnie Raitt won five Grammys yeah for a nick of Time yeah
0: Amazing. So, is that when you went back to Warner at that point?
2: No, there's still a lot in between. Um, So, I was sitting at home with no job, and being a out of work A and R person in our business is not a good thing because people, our business follows heat, right? And if you lose your job, that's considered cold, and -hmm. if you're cold, people don't call you. So, no one returned my phone calls, and uh, after doing a lot of great work, and Bonnie Raitt won her five Grammys for Nick of Time a few months later after they let me go. And the phone started ringing because she thanked me on the podium when she won her Grammys. Awesome. So that was nice payback. Mm-hmm. And this man, Ted Field, called, or his representative called, and said it was a man who wanted to start a record company, and that was Interscope Records. Wow. All right, so I joined him, and this other guy, John McLean, joined him, and Jimmy Iovine joined him, and the four of us set out to start Interscope Records, and that was in 1990.
0: Wow. Amazing. Yeah, and I mean, the rest of that is
2: history. Yes.
0: To some extent. Yeah. So you were at Interscope for how long?
2: About 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and John McLean and myself were the, we were they and our guys. We were the guys finding the music. Mm-hmm. And our simple philosophy of Interscope was to empower the music. And so you empowered the people, signed it, and and then everyone else was there it was there to service the, the music, right? Mm-hmm. So with Jimmy Iovine, Ted Field, John McLean, or myself, wanted to sign something, we were empowered to go make it happen and there wasn't anything in between us and it was the most lethal thing I've ever felt in terms of seeing an act in a club or hearing music and be able to act on it. and provide the support for the, for that vision without any interference. Wow. Right. So it was truly an independent company just the way Portia you, you have with your company where you make your own decisions and you 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 follow up on them, right? And that was the same thing but we were we were the, we were, the intention wasn't to be small or we had the resources to be as big as we wanted to right. because Ted Field provided the the money to to do it. Right. That's amazing. Yeah.
0: So then after you left Interscope...
2: Where did you go? Somewhere around 2000, we sold uh, Interscope. And we kind of all went our separate ways. Uh, The four of us went our separate ways. So I went to Warner Brothers from there. They called. And I thought, wow, this could be really cool. I was in the (laughs) mailroom in the beginning. And now I'm the chairman of the company. And I used to dream that when I was the, you know, to motivate myself when Mm -hmm. I was pushing the mail cart around around (laughs) the floors. So the fact that I could actually make it happen and I thought the right thing was to say yes and go do it so that's what
0: I did it's a really cool trajectory so let's talk a little bit about your A&R philosophy because I think that's one of the things that makes you I mean you've had so many different experiences and you've worked for so many different types of companies and like Mm -hmm. you said you know you've had budget constraints you've had total freedom now you run your own independent label right so you know you've really done a lot but still within that you have this A&R philosophy
2: Again, going back to Warner Brothers, there was that sort of helped define what my philosophy became, although it evolves over time and you know, that there's as you go through changes in the business or that you 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 probably adapt a bit to what your philosophies are. But I I wish that was important to find things that were had some unique voice about themselves, that had a point of view, as I like to call it. And that point of view can come from anything. It can come from a lyric, it can come from the music, it can come from a voice, right? And I was always a strong believer in what I would call a self-contained artist, an artist who writes their own songs and, and performs them. right? So that, was, that fundamentally is what I still believe in and what I, I still look for when I'm, when I'm signing a, an artist.
0: So when you sign an artist, how free do you feel to go into the studio with them? I mean, at what point are you like, okay, this is what we're doing here? Mm-hmm. You know, how does how does that work with you when you sign an artist?
2: Well, I, I, I don't define what their record should be or the sound of the record should be. It's, it's not, nothing like that. It's more guidance. I think what makes our business work is I think when... when Real artists find greatness, right? And that's not an easy thing to 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 do, right? And if you look at any anything else in our world that you that this kind of is in front of us every day, like sports, right? We revere, for many people, revere the greatness of it, right? The greatest athletes, and those athletes always have coaches or personal trainers or personal advice, business people, etc. They get a lot of advice on how to become great or stay great, and it's the same sensibility that i pr- can provide guidance on on where that you know how to help someone get to that point help an artist get to that point right so it's not interference which some people define they are afraid of that's uh, you know someone who can comes into the studio or someone who talks about my music is going to interfere and compromise who i am or what i am and that's not it at all although that does happen it's sure. not it doesn't yeah. it's not the philosophy that i bring into the room when i sign someone there has to be a shared vision and some insight into what they're doing that you believe in and that you can support and when you have that it's always been easy for me to to be able to help them in 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 the process of making records and achieving what hopefully is greatness right so and that could be anything from a mix uh, to i know do they have all the right songs on the record to a vocal performance or it could be no advice whatsoever it's just it's, you did it. It's fantastic, right? So having that ability can make a big difference on what the what the outcome is. And there are producers and songwriters and musicians that also do that probably better than I do in a certain way. But I'm not a record producer. I'm not a musician, but there's I have an ability to hear things.
0: Do you have any stories from any part of your career where you were really backing a band and you had opposition and then it just really worked out well? <laughs>
2: There's lots of those. I want to hear them. lots those of those stories. Well, the Beastie Boys story was, was interesting. Because yeah. I was the head of A&R. We were trying to, I was trying to build this really cool roster. We had signed Skinny Puppy and, and who they thought I was out of my mind uh, for. <laughs> and I was trying to, Capitol Records at the time was known for hair bands, right? Which, mm-hmm. again, I had nothing wrong with it and heavy metal bands and stuff like that I was just trying to add to the the sensibility so when Paul's boutique showed up and it wasn't a pop record like like fight your right to party it confused everybody and that's it cost me my job mm-hmm. right but clearly the end result was there that it's i don't know what it sold at this point but it's many many millions yes and is a classic record that yeah. has meant a lot to many many people and i think was a force in the change of music so Absolutely. that was one that went from what are you talking about to something that was fairly, very very <laughs> successful
0: <laughs> oh we were wrong <laughs> yeah
2: exactly vonny right the same thing yeah. tupac shakur you know no one told me i was wrong, so to speak, but it was... Well, actually there was a little bit of someone telling me I was wrong but we at th- that time at Interscope we were attached to for services we were attached to a bigger company and I won't mention names here but we were, we were attached to one of the divisions of Atlantic Records and I brought the two first Tupac album into New York to play for them to, to get their support and they all told me I didn't know what I was talking about and uh, this record was terrible and what do I know about rap music which I didn't know anything I just saw an artist that I liked and I liked that he had something to say and I thought we're building a roster I think this guy's great so I came back to to uh, Ted Field and Jimmy Ivy, and I said what do we do now I said I they don't have their support I what do I do and they said well you're a smart guy you'll figure it out <laughs> and uh, Ted said here's your money go figure it out and I went with the manager we built our own team around the record and went out and sold a half a million albums and then rest is history. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. So that went from distincts to, to uh history.
0: I mean, being an AR person is a really interesting job because there's a clear talent, right? I mean, some people just have that talent. And that talent is to to sniff the zeitgeist, right? To like really be able to say, not only is this a great artist, but this is a great artist that people are going to love. Yes. Which is kind of nuts, right? To have that talent. But then, of course, there's also just a ton of work involved in finding the artists, digging, you know, knowing knowing when to stop listening to the negative self-talk. I mean, there must be a lot, you know, of times when you've thought to yourself, maybe I'm wrong. Or do you never think that?
2: Of course I did. I always I always <laughs> had enough self doubt in me to work harder. <laughs> so you're not right all the time. It's it's not possible. Things change too, right? Sometimes you'll you'll sign an artist and one of the band members will drop out. Right? Oh, right, and some things like that happen, right? And sometimes you're just wrong. You thought you were so excited, and the public really didn't care, and it wasn't as good as you thought it was, right? Mm-hmm. Something changes, right? Or, 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 but you're if you're not committed to your to your beliefs, and the, I always wanted to live up to the promises I made to the artists, right? And because they they're committing to you, right? Uh, that they have to sign a contract with you, and it lasts for many many years, right? right. And. If you can't live up to your promises, then you shouldn't be in the job of A and R, right? And that was again that empowerment thing that I, I got from Interscope where I could live up to my promises. I wasn't always right, but I would never let an artist down by not living up to what we talked about or what I said I would do. Right. If something changed, I'd say this is this is something's changed here, so let's go do it this way, right? And I, I was willing to take it as far as humanly possible to find out whether the artist and I were right or we were wrong, right? And were, did we, were we doing something that people were going to like? And I, I still believe in that, right? Mm-hmm. And today is different, though. A lot of A&R is done through research. Mm. Mm. Tell, tell us about that. I don't do it, so I don't, I don't know (laughs) know what people do, but there's enough information out there where you can collect YouTube views. You can, people who are making music in their bedroom can put it out on their own, right? And then you can pick up that information through data, right? And, and reading what is a hit in Australia on some little company or in some part of the world. And you pick up that information and run it through a computer and they can tell you whether people like it or not. And you can sign artists just based on that right? And I don't have facility to do it. It works. People do it every day and a lot. So I think the instinctual sensibility of, and the ability to understand the talent and what makes it work, what's the heartbeat of this artist that's going to make a music fan like them, right? And how do you expose that to them to get them to understand who they are? right and that takes years to do that sometimes right and most of the time but when it's about the immediacy of it then it's easier just to have a computer tell you what to do and have research tell you what to do and make a phone call and say hey i i did all this research on you on youtube and i want to sign you and they never met them and they oh put God. a contract in front of them just because the research tells them to do it right so that happens Every, every, every day, wow. every day, but I don't do it that way. I, uh, I don't know how to, how to do that because <laughs> when you get to the reality of sustaining, I'm, in, I'm interested in, in an artist's career lasting. I'm not into just, hey, you had a one-off song or one-off album, Mm -hmm. right? And I still believe in the album as an art form. Mm -hmm. And that's a difficult thing to achieve in today's world, to make a body of work that's great from beginning to end and then Mm -hmm. get someone to buy-in, right. right? Whether they stream it or buy it or, or they buy a concert ticket or a T-shirt or bundles of it or whatever it is. It, it, the art form of an album is to get people to buy into a holistic view that this artist has something to say and they stand for something, right? Right. right. A computer can't tell you that. No. It's impossible.
0: Yeah, and I fear that doing it that way, doing it by the numbers, you're going to end up with one album artist
2: or one single artist. Yeah, because that you don't know why you signed them. Mm-hmm. You're just doing it because it's commerce. And if it's commerce, then that comes and goes, right? And that's one way to do it. There's, it's, you know, different record companies represent different things. And there's lots of record companies out there from the littlest ones to the biggest ones, right? And artists have their choices of who they want to work with or do it themselves, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I find in order to sustain a career and, and help someone have potentially a 30 year career or longer or whatever it is that to understand what makes them unique creatively is really what's gonna gonna make it work because then you build culture Right? And right. it's not just the music that creates the culture, it's the artworks, it's the photographs, it's how you approach the marketplace. What's if, if someone wants to use their song in a movie, is it the right movie or the wrong movie for this artist? There's a lot of decisions that go into building a career, that, and you can't do it unless you're, you understand this sense of culture and what makes this artist unique versus somebody else.
0: And on that note. Tom Wally runs Loma Vista Records, and we are so happy to have you in the studio today. Thank you, Tom.
2: Thank you. I enjoyed it.
0: That was Girl Germs by Bratmobile. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merchtable stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merchtable's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merchtable. See what they can do for your business at MerchTable.com. You're listening to The Future of What? After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. You're listening to The Future of What? I'm talking to Tunji Baligan of Sony. There are people, I mean, for example, I was listening to, I can't remember which panel it was, somebody was doing, I think, a Napster panel, and they were talking about people who listen to the same stuff you know, it's like they're very consistent listeners, right? It's like you don't really seek out new stuff, but you listen to the same stuff. So there's that group of of users. And then there's these other people who are like, always want what's new, what's next, what's new, what's next. But the problem with that group of people is they're fickle, right? So they want what's next. They don't necessarily like find an artist and stick to it. So how do we deal in this world with those two groups of people? Because in my opinion, those boring people who are over here just listening to the same thing, to me, those are super fans. And you wanna super serve the super fans, you know?
3: You know, I know people, you know, you always hear people say, Oh, I listen to everything, you know, except for a country or like whatever. Like, you always hear people say, I listen to everything. And I I feel like the kids from this generation really exemplify that because, you know, when I was growing up in the late 80s, in the 90s, in the early 2000s, it was like you would discover music. Through MTV and the radio, and like maybe you'd like be at a friend's house, and they'd be like, "Yo, borrow my CD," and you'd borrow the CD, and you'd go, you know. And then, then then it came the time where you could copy the CD, or I I even remember when I would get a tape and dub it and all that other stuff. Nowadays, everything is so out there that these kids really are discovering all types of not just not just music, just culture in general. They're 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 voraciously like consuming content whether it's on YouTube or Apple Music or Spotify or iTunes or Amazon or whatever like there's all these different platforms for people to discover to discover new music and the kids that I meet now that are in high school they really do listen to everything they really do appreciate you know Drake and Ed Sheeran and you know a super underground artist that's only doing local shows and festivals or something like that and and there's there's this kind of new breed of listener that is just listening to everything, and I and I think you you can see that reflecting in the artist community, where a lot of the artists who come out now are, are like hybrids, and they kind of like they live in two different worlds, or they they're they're very good at shifting between genres. You know, Drake is Drake is a great example of that. Yep. You know, he started off as a singing rapper, and now his his biggest songs aren't even don't even have raps on them. You know, so I think culture and music specifically are, is constantly evolving, and you know, it's it's our job as you know the quote unquote gatekeepers of the industry to react to that to contribute to that, but also to kind of like take cues from what the fans and the, what the kids are, are doing and saying. So,
0: so Tanji, from your perspective, how are those, I mean, if the kids are listening to everything, and there's more of a sort of widespread palette, what, how do we capture those people? Like, from your perspective in your business, how are people trying to capitalize on that type of appetite?
3: I think what's kind of changed along with the fact that the fans are now, you know, kind of all over the place is that the artist has a much louder voice than ever, and the artist can speak directly to their fans now, you know, through social media, and through smarter ways of touring and merch, and just establishing an identity outside of the music that brings more and, and, and tells the full story, you know? So, obviously I can only, like, speak on what I've, what I've gone through and the artists that I've worked with, but someone that we were talking about in the other panel with Indify is this kid Khalid, who's, you know, is a 19-year-old kid. He's from El Paso, Texas. He, you know, was releasing music during his senior year of high school and started to catch fire online. You know, we found him, we signed him and, you know, he's doing really well now, but one of the Primary reasons why he's doing so well is because of his method of interacting with his fans, which is just a constant conversation. You know, you can you can really like he's one of those artists that you can really send him a tweet and he's gonna he might respond. And you know, he, after every single show that he does, he meets every single fan, takes a photo with them. You know, knowing that that fan is gonna post that photo onto their network and expose him to more more fans. And it, you know, I think I think what's shifted now is that. The power is, is moving away from the major labels and it's moving away from the corporations and more into the hands of the fans and the artists, which is the most important interaction that there is in music is between the fan and the artist. Oh
0: <laughs> They agree.
3: Yeah. And I, I think that that's that's really what's most important for us in our positions to maintain is like that conversation, strengthening that conversation between the fans and the artists, and and making the fans feel like they're a part of the story and a part of the growth. And and. Especially recently, the, the last few artists that I've been working with, you know, it's really been a fan led initiative in, in terms of, of the blow up. It was never like, you know, the label created all this stuff. It was like we found an amazing artist and we built the culture around the artist so that the fans could discover it and the fans turned it into something. It wasn't like we pushed a button and it's like Khalid blew up or like or like with Bryson. Like that was with Bryson Teller, who's another artist that I work with, that was an organic fan based thing that we just fanned the flames of. Pardon the pun. And we just made it into a bigger thing, but it was already kind of his thing that we just amplified and turned into a bigger thing. So I feel like the proposition is kind of changing now where it's like labels are truly partners now as opposed to like the people that control the whole table, the whole deck, you know, so.
0: So Tenji, I want to especially talk about you
3: you <laughs> Let's do it. because
0: you were an artist first before i mean you've been at major labels for some years now which is funny for a person of your age because you're not that old either but you did you actually started early. as an art as an artist yeah and i think that makes probably a huge difference it certainly made a huge difference to your career i think because like you were saying i mean i think probably everyone in this room is interested in the idea of it's like so you can look at some, an artist like khalid who's blowing up in organically on the internet, right? Has fans doing whatever they're doing to show that they're interested in what he's up to. But so do a lot of people. Like, how do you decide, no, this one is the one that we're really gonna work with, that we think is has a
3: future? I guess in in like the core of my being, I'm, I'm still an artist, but really I started as a fan, you know? And, and I'm still a fan, and, and I try to always think like a fan because, like I said earlier, all, the most important interaction is between the artist and the fan. and. I literally just try to work with the people that I like the most that I'm a fan of and I I don't try to Think of like the corporate or the you know, how much money is this gonna make? I mean, I believe in my taste and I believe that I have a pretty good gauge on what people will like but ultimately like I just work with the people that inspire me and I was also lucky because the first artist that I worked with that really blew up was Kendrick Lamar so it was sort of like it, it was an artist that, you know, a cultural artist with a lot of authenticity that doesn't play the hit game And really just makes great projects and connects with his fans. So being, you know, coming into into the game and being associated with an artist like that I was never looked at as a kid that was gonna sign, you know, the next corny little rap song, you know, so it, It's a combination of, of those two things really just like I'm really that dude who goes home and like opens up 20 tabs on SoundCloud and listens to every single thing before he goes to bed. Like I never lost that fan feeling and and that's what I've I've used to guide me and you know luckily the the trends in the industry have sort of gone more my way and I've made some I guess I've made some good de- good decisions and good good choices but going back to the whole artist thing like I think my ability to connect with with young artists goes back to the fact that I'm still an artist at heart, you know, and you know that also kind of led to me becoming a, an A was because you know being a young rapper, and I actually played more shows in Seattle than anywhere else. Hey, where's Melly at? Shout out to Melly. But um, you know, being a young a young artist and meeting well, being an older artist now, but meeting these young artists, they're able to connect to my story, and, and I don't think I have necessarily come off as like this like guy in a suit that's trying to steal your your creativity, you know. And I try to I try to connect with these kids on a level. That they understand because I remember being in that position, and I remember talking to people in the music industry and not really being able to connect properly with them. So I put myself back in those shoes. I mean, obviously that was a while ago for me, but you know those those principles don't change. And artists respect artists, you know. And I I pattern my career as a music executive more like an artist (laughs) than like the typical music executive. So like I think about the details of it. For example, like if you go to my Instagram. A lot of A&R people, every single time that they're with an artist, or every new release, or everything that they have any any piece of, they'll post it. And I, I'm really just posting the stuff that feels authentic to me and, and to my life, because I know that artists are going to be looking at what I'm doing, and I, and I don't want to be that dude that's like the industry dude that's like corny. And and I and I think about those things because artists want to work with people that can help them become greater artists. And you know, I I never want to be the guy that's like thinks he's bigger than the artist because it's again it's it's not about me it's about the fans so
0: can you give one piece of advice on how to use your data how to put yourself out there how to market yourself how to you know there's all these social media things i mean we don't even need to go to the place of like don't spend money on a fake service that's going to give you 50 million facebook hits or whatever duh don't do it because you know, I mean, those lying will out. Like, you can't just fake your numbers. But what is the right thing to do with your time and your money as an artist to use
3: your data to? I mean, I hate to repeat myself, but there's no there's no right answer. You know, there's because every artist is different, and, and every you know, if you look at every like think about your your favorite last five artists that blew up, every story is completely different. You know, so I I, I hate to like give a vague answer, but it's really about trying to look at all the different tools and all the different platforms that you have at your disposal in addition to the, to making great music and creating amazing content visually, musically. but you know trying to utilize these platforms in different ways you know and it, again I, there is no right or wrong answer here and there is no you know one two three step guide to becoming a big artist. but I, I do know that the, the constant is great music, great content and creating a conversation with your fans. That they feel like they're a part of, so that they become your biggest champions, and they feel like the, your success is their success, you know. And I, I wish there was a super simple guide to it, but but there isn't. Just like there's no no simple guide to making great records, you know. You just have to uniquely tell your story through the music, and then find a way to enhance and bring more to the story through all these amazing platforms that these artists have that I wish I had when I was making rap songs you know because when I was making rap songs like you had like there was no iTunes I'm really dating myself here but you know you had to get a CD you had to make a CD which was expensive and you had to do shows locally and then hope that you got enough of a buzz that you could go out and do more shows and hope that somebody found you, you know, and especially if you weren't in one of the major cities. I, I grew up in California, but you know, I remember Seattle was like it was like Antarctica, you know, to, to us when I was when I was making music, it was like yeah, it's Canada, my bad. But nowadays because of the internet, we're also connected and so kind of all this all this culture kind of overlaps. So once you get a little bit of a conversation going, it's it's a lot easier if it's great to, to catch that momentum and to turn it into a bigger conversation.
0: And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Filthy Friends, Bratmobile, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash what, and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Saban, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week.
4: Can I have a taste of your ice cream?